The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 47 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome everyone to another edition of the House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Matty Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing on this lovely winter break? Oh my goodness, such such amazing time off uh, after having doing a such, a, uh, such a long run, uh, putting in extra hours at the game store. Uh, you know, dealing with a, an employee that was COVID positive and having to do extra hours there while still doing full time teaching at the public school and doing hours at the driving school on the side. I very much needed this break and I am loving life as we speak. Yeah. And it's tough, too. I, I think people don't understand. I mean, you're saying someone that was out with COVID at the game store. There's only three employees at the game store. There's only three. And when <laughs> so. the, the full time guy that works you know, five days a week, you know, open to close uh, 10 to 10 to eight when he's out. And now all that's left is the store owner. And what is me, the part time guy that covers the two nights of closing that the that other full timer is not closing, you know, or at the store. It, it's just yeah, it's and then the owner itself, he's also got a, a gig with his wife. She runs a, a local brew that is, you know, two buildings over. So microbrewery. So he's you know double dipping back and forth between owning the game store and helping his wife with the microbrewery. So it, it it's been busy and crazy. Luckily, my coworker is back. He's feeling well, and uh, hopefully, my hours are kind of tiptoeing back to what is the normal. Now, when you do your winter break, do you take any days off from the game store as well, or no? Are no, you just I, working I'm your still regular? doing my uh, the, my two typical closing shifts on Mondays, Tuesdays. I actually um, work the full days this week to kind of give some time off to the game store owner, uh, so that he can you know get some time off as well. So I worked full full days Monday, Tuesday, open to close. And then I'll work my regular Saturday shift. But I took uh, this particular week off from the driving school. So I've had, you know, Sunday was off, Wednesday's off. And then I am uh, hopefully going to be meeting up with you to do a little AEW fig exchange. We'll we'll get into that. We'll we'll, we'll get into that. But first, let me introduce the man to my left. The man that's never left behind, Mr. 
Kevin Hellions, the Masked Library. You got so many nicknames, Kevin. I I don't know which ones to go with. I I do. Didn't we sit down one day years ago and write down all the nicknames I'd been called over the years? I no. thought we were naming members of the Wu Tang Clan, but apparently it was your <laughs> nicknames. <laughs> I mean, not counting what you know, ex girlfriends called me after we broke up. Oh baby, those aren't yeah. official nicknames. What were your uh, nicknames? You want to go through it real quick? Let's see how many let's, we can name. Let's do it. All right, ready? <laughs> Cue the music. Uh, all right, so we have the Master Library. That's a new one. Right. That would be the newest one. Uh, uh, Hellions, Kevin Hellions. Mm-hmm. Was that just because of the brand, the branding for your yeah your website? Yeah, the branding. Because my my shoot last name is so specific. It's not like it's Smith or Jones. When I first started writing online, I wanted a little anonymity. Okay. Uh, we had Fat Shady. Yep. Yeah. Who can who can forget Fat Shady? But it was a PH. Yeah. So. Yes. Of course. Um. Had the diesel from high diesel. School. Oh yeah, absolutely. My dad still calls you the. Oh, how's the diesel doing? <laughs> uh, dumpster. Did they call you the dumpster, dumpster yeah, at one point? Yeah. That was a bad one. That was a bad one. We're up to five, Kevin. <laughs> uh, what other what other ones am I missing? Uh, Joe's sidekick, I think, was one of them. <laughs> oh. No, no. Um, let's see. Uh, Always take one for the team. Yep. Yep, there's usually big guy. Your dad did that for a while too. My dad calls everyone big guy, so don't right, let so we're it not be. Counting that it's one. just it's just his term for people. Um, shocker. Oh, oh well, I mean, how could we forget the shocker? <laughs> Do you want to explain to our fans out there why you were nicknamed the shocker? Um, no, for, okay. For, well, we'll for the house show after dark. Okay. <laughs> what else was there, Kevin? Is that it? Oh, Mr. I'll- Chris. Mr. Chris. Oh, Mr. Chris. <laughs> Mr. Chris is a great story, guys. Let me tell it real quick. Um, Kevin got the nickname Mr. Chris uh, because my mom had, she works at a nursing home and someone brought in, I, I don't know the exact story, but there was leftover Rice Krispie treats. That's all I remember. Like, yeah, like the prepackaged ones, not like homemade, but the yeah, absolutely. A, a giant like Sam's Club BJ's box of them. There was like a hundred of them, right? I mean, so Kevin came over watching wrestling like we do, uh, and he was pounding these things, like just no pounding, touching them, just pounding them. The amount of sugar intake that day was impressive because you also were drinking Mountain Dew. Getting his car, um, baby. So he ends up taking them and putting them in his pocket because we lived close enough that you could walk. It's like a 10 minute walk. So yeah, but you need something to eat for that walk. Yeah, well, naturally. Uh, so you put them in your pocket, and we started calling you Mr. Crisp as Mr. Rice Crispy. I think it was the original, and then it was Mr. Crisp. Yeah. So then, fast forward, maybe like a year later, we start calling him, hey, Mr. Crisp. It like stuck around for a little bit. You know, as nicknames do when you grow up, they either stick, or they stick for a little, and then they're gone. This one stick for a little, and it was gone. But Crone Meltzer was over, and we had the educator with us. And Crone uh, Meltzer is like, why do you guys call him Mr. Crisp? And the educator blurted out, well, we went to the House of Hardcore together. Like, we trained at the House of Hardcore together. <laughs> and he was like, really? And then, of course, me wanting to play, you know, wanting to rib Crone Meltzer was like, yeah, his suplexes were so crisp. They called him Mr. Crisp because the suplexes were Benoit-like. Like, they were just the best suplexes you could you could see Oh, I, I I can't remember if it made the on-air part of Hot Tag or not, but Adam and I were to- I told Adam about that because he actually went to the ECW training school for a little bit. I think it was for like 
didn't he train for like a day? He pretty was, much. Yeah. Wasn't that the story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a great story. I think I remember listening to that. So if he if he had as crisp a suplexes as I do, he would have trained longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if anyone knows athletics, it's Kevin Hellions. So <laughs> I see. I thought they said souffles and it turned out it was Gordon Soli saying souffles. Oh, there it is. That makes sense. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, guys. Uh, so we got another one. Of course, the educator, he, he made an allusion to it earlier. Uh, I will be meeting up with the educator at our rendezvous point of the mall in Syracuse. Hopefully, no. Uh, <laughs> how are we going to do this? Are we just going to roll cars up together past the, the yeah, product probably, in between? Yeah, I'll give you the envelope with the cash, um, you know, and then I'll pop open the trunk and you'll just to- toss the packages in the trunk and I'll, we'll call it a day. Yeah, I was able to secure a Series 3 collection of the Unrivaled at my local Walmart. Of course, me living in the Rochester area, I have access to like seven or eight Walmarts and like within a 20 mile radius from where I live. So I look up, you know, BrickSeek, look to see where there is, and then I'll go check out that Walmart. Uh, The educator's um, uh, boss of the game store, the owner of the game store, uh, is collecting the figs. So. Works out good. I buy them. Of course, you guys only have like the one Walmart. I mean, you got two technically. Right. If you want to count like Lowville, but um, it worked out well. Worked out well. So he's getting his collection. And then uh, basically, uh, I'm not a man that really upcharges or or flips them. I just charge gas money. That's all I care about. So it's bingo, bingo. Try to get some grub. Maybe we'll hit a little dinosaur or we'll hit a sit down at the mall. We got to check out the the toy store. Got to check out the store, man. Uh, we gotta figure out the exact date. I gotta, uh, I gotta talk to my boss. Yep. Because <laughs> I'm doing new stuff at work. So oh, this guy man. moving on up in the world. Kevin, do you gotta check with your boss? Then is Elise home? <laughs> hey, hey, she sent me out yesterday and said, "Go nuts, spending money." Because you contacted me saying that my local Walmart had the EW figures. Now, at the time, they did, but you were slow to get there. You gotta. As soon as you see they're in stock on Brickseek, you you just go. You got to just, yeah. Fire yeah, so, up the car, get the Mazda ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so see, I know to, you're looking for an OC, so we will find yeah, you an OC, Kevin. I will hopefully get one, um, and then I will, I don't know, mail it to you or something. I'll use the work email or work mail so I don't get charged. Yeah. Well, then she... Um... she said, why don't you go out shopping? You know, you want to go to like a thrift store or something like that? I said, you know, supposedly there is a Salvation Army like a little ways away that has a huge book section. Like they get in so many books, they just set boxes on the ground because they they just have so many that they can't put them all on the shelf and sort them. Um, and she said, well, you're driving that way. There's a Walmart on the way, too. Why don't you check that for the figures? All right. So I stopped in the Oneida Walmart. No figures. None. However, their little collectible aisle is full of the Marvel three packs, which Walmart gets variant covers for that are oh, only nice. at Walmart. Oh, nice. So my Walmart sells out quick for those. My local one, they had a ton. So I said, Hey, I found a couple. I only got a few, you know, I'm, I'm behaving and all. She's like, when, when this last time you've ever been in that store, I've never been in this one. When are you going again? I don't know. I don't feel like driving a half hour to a Walmart for any good reason. She's like, go nuts. And I did. <laughs> way too many then i still went onto that thrift store and found some good uh paperbacks and stuff too not not the you know boxes on the floor amount i was hoping for but uh, you know it was worth the trip i was out for like two hours maybe it was worth it um so kevin 
Yeah. So you had to go to the Oneida. I did. Wait, you about to tell me that they had them? No, you know what they have, though. What? A Long John Maddie's. They have a Long John oh, Maddie's. Oh, baby. In Oneida or inside the Walmart? Oh, can you imagine if Walmarts came with a Long John Silvers? Can you imagine the smell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, if, I knew, if I saw the Long John Silvers, I probably would have stopped. I, I believe. Been let, so me just, long. let me just double check here. I'm pretty positive. There's two. There's one in Batavia. I mean, you can bite. eat hush puppies while you drive. You just pop them right in. Yeah. Oh, they're so good, too. Yeah, they might even have, like, a car cup for them. Get, like, a sack of 20. That's great. <laughs> yeah, there is a long time <laughs> still at 1038 Glenwood Ave in Oneida. Oh, next, uh, next, next comic trip. Also, yeah, maybe when we go to visit you. Group lunch at Long John's. There we go. How, uh, Man, have you been to Long John's? Uh, it's been for, uh, I mean, since the one in our hometown closed. Oh, that was years then, ago, too. Oh, oh, over a decade. It got really bad. There's a yeah. shelf life on that stuff. It got really, really bad. The one in uh, Batavia is pretty good, though. Do, the, do chicken, they have the, the chicken was out on your way out. You're pretty sad. No, did I tell that story? I think I told that story, right? How I went in and no one was there. <laughs> I stood in. I, st- I I got there early. I was there like 11. I went inside and no workers like acknowledged my existence. Right. I just sat there. Sat there for five minutes. So you know what I did? I left and I went through the drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I ordered my food. It was delicious. And then I went to the Goodwill there, and the Goodwill's terrible. But they have some comic shops and, and toy stores and stuff. So right. oh, We'd put a hurtin' on that place, I think. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, if three of us come in, I think I think they would want us to leave. Yeah. <laughs> They'd see us and be like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna refuse service here. We'd, we'd be treating it like a buffet. They're going to lose money on us. <laughs> figuring out some fish math. Speaking of fish math... There is, and I just found this out last night. I've been looking for a sushi place since I moved. I love sushi. Uh, mm. Kevin, you love sushi. I Matt, love you sushi, sushi guy? Oh, absolutely, all day. I found it all you can eat sushi place. Oh, geez, how much? 25. That's, That's it. So I don't know. Here's the thing. I'm going to guess it's probably just your traditional rolls and your, not your fancy rolls, but your, right, right. your basics. But still, 25 bucks when you go to. A Wegmans and a sushi roll is like seven ninety nine to begin with, and mm-hmm. I could eat a lot of sushi. Yeah, I mean, what maybe eight, you know, half inch slices with that roll. Yeah, you know, they're so good though. Yeah, I would definitely get my money's worth. So if you guys ever want to visit, uh, when AEW comes for Dynamite, yeah, whenever we, we that gotta, is, we got to coordinate this. Now that you're kind of closer, you're not so super super far away. We got, we got to start getting the band back together a little bit more often. I'm just saying, whole- AEW Dynamite, we go to the show. We get some some all-you-can-eat sush. Oh, baby. We check out that that toy store that I that I yeah. got the Hasbro. Oh, from. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there, guys. Once COVID's over, which is never. But. Never. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. Why don't we get right into it, guys? We're talking Saturday night's main event number seven. Uh, the event was taped. On September 13th, uh, happy anniversary to my parents, September 13th, 1986, but it didn't air till October 4th. A little bit of a, a couple of weeks stretch here where it does not air. Uh, 
we are at Richmond, Ohio, or excuse me, Richfield, Ohio, which is funny because all they do is talk about Cleveland. Yeah, and this Richfield's like is just a yeah, a Cleveland suburb. It's not really in Cleveland, but it's a suburb of it, so I guess it counts. Uh, Twenty one thousand people in attendance. I mean, this place was packed. Was packed towards the end, though. We start to see some empty seats, especially in the Kamala match, but. Um, yeah, big, big crowd and the crowd super, super into, uh, a lot of the spots throughout the night. Uh, I figure the empty seats in the back for the Kamala match were because the fans were rushing forward to get a better view. My question is obviously, uh, this wasn't live to tape. They, they obviously tape and then move the matches. So do you think that night Hogan had headlined and then they just, he probably did. It wouldn't surprise me. Or knowing him, he, he he headlined before the intermission and then left. Yeah, and honestly, maybe that Kamala match was like first, and the reason there's empty seats is because the fans haven't all arrived yet. Right, that's probably the case. So we got a little bit here, guys. A lot going on at the beginning. They really are touching in with every uh, superstar that is wrestling before the event, kind of giving you a little preview of what is coming down. I really do like that at the top of the card. Uh, we are... Greeted by Jesse the Body, Ventura is the first person we see saying that he is back and he's going to be on commentary. Uh, then we get to see Jake the Snake and Damien hanging out in the shower. Um, then we get Johnny Valiant with the Dream Team, of course, being Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, we see the Wizard with Kamala. And then we Sullivan. See Bob... What? Sullivan. Sullivan. <laughs> It wasn't Sullivan, was it? It's a Dungeon of Doom reference. He was that's yeah. the same guy that was the wizard. I know it's the same guy, but yeah. it's not Kevin Sullivan. No, was it's it Dave not. Sullivan. That's just all no, he's, he's just so just, quotable yeah. for his Dungeon of Doom time. For that brief, like, three or four vignettes he was in, and that's he's it. He's the master. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan with Paul Orndorff, and then we have, of course, Hawk Hogan. So anything to gleam out of the the first uh, little bit of the show, guys? Uh, do you are you guys into this like intro of them? I love it down? the video package intros, trying to get you hyped up for what's you know planning on coming ahead and getting different superstars perspectives of you know what their goals and plans are for the night. Yeah, I love these little montages. I I took notes honestly, uh, not just for the show but for my life. Uh, one, I didn't know that you should always keep your snake wet. So thank you, Jake, for that one. And two, I didn't. Uh, now I want like a three mirror setup so I can pretend I'm three different people. If you were three people, Kevin, which of your your three personalities that we've highlighted earlier in the show would they be? <laughs> you got the um, crisp on one. <laughs> Mr. Crisp would be like the the uh, the flexing guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think uh, Hellions and Library are really the same same thing, just with different names. Like I switched from WWE to WCW. But kind right. of the same gimmick. Yep. I think you would either have to go with your your third guy, either being Fat Shady or the Shocker. Oh, jeez, those characters are long dead and buried too. It'd be like a comeback. It'd be like Undertaker coming out to American Badass. I want to do a uh, if anyone out there with photoshopping skills can uh, take uh, Kevin Hellions here and put him on the cover of the M Night Shyamalan split movie with his different personalities. That'd be fantastic. So, uh, anything else, Kevin, besides keeping your snake wet? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, yes. Quickly, for the opening of the show, I do like that they always change the wrestler graphics to wrestlers that are actually on the card for the opening of the show. So, you're not seeing, like, 
Macho Man, for example, for this one, and he's not on the show just because he might be a popular character. Everyone that they show is actually on the card. So I think, you know, random fan watching this goes, oh, I like that. Those people, I will stay and watch the entire show. Right. Yeah. And of course, at the end of that intro, Hogan must pose. Well, yeah, absolutely. All American. So. All right. So calling the event, of course, is Jesse the Body and Vince McMahon. Um, and then we get Mean Gene talking with Roddy Roddy Piper, who's been injured. Uh, we get a Piper's Pit flashback about how he got injured. Uh, what'd you guys think of that? Anything? Just a good review. I wouldn't have remembered how the storyline with Adonis and Piper beginning to feud. It has been so long since you know this originally happened. I'm, I'm glad the flashback was there to remind us as to what led up to eventually a WrestleMania 3 match. So Orton turned on Piper during this too? I believe so, yeah. I honestly thought Orton just disappeared. No. Like, I didn't realize he turned. No, he became, like, as a part of the flower shop with Adrian Adonis, he was now part with Jimmy Hart and that crew. Morocco just happened to be there for this particular segment, but... He just happened to be there a lot. Yeah, and it's just now, it it ends up being now, it's it's Orton and Adonis with Jimmy Hart. They're kind of like the besties now. Okay. Uh, and then we, of course, we see uh, Hawk Hogan talking about the Paul Orndorff food, uh, the Paul Orndorff feud. Um, my question to you guys is, did you know that Paul Orndorff was like a blood brother? I to, wrote that down, too. <laughs> to Hogan. I mean, yeah, what an interesting uh, really playing up their their partnership, their brotherhood. Yeah. Um, I never saw them as, as that. But no. So so in between Orton's heel turns there his brief face run there is what a year maybe i mean wonderful yeah or, or wonderful, yeah, it was, yeah. R- yeah it was right after i mean it was a few weeks after wrestlemania where he kind of pseudo turned face on the first Saturday night's main event with piper's bet till about yeah right about now so you're looking at a little bit more than a year yeah but in that little more than a year all of a sudden him and hogan are blood brothers and he's shocked by this turn which we're setting up for WrestleMania three as well, which is another turn. So you did two people turning on Hogan in less than a year as well. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you were just at this point, you're just working people, just feeding them to Hogan. So they're just just looking for bodies at this point. Right. I mean, yeah. And I guess if you're going to just keep feeding people to Hogan, then you're going to double up on some angles when you're turning it over that fast. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, too, I, I think when we, we talk about like um, them burning it over, it's not that I, I, we always look at it with a lens now where, OK, we got to fill three hours on Monday, two hours on Friday. Uh, so that's five hours right there of, te- of television a week on your main shows. Whereas here, these angles, I mean, there isn't really I mean, you have what challenge going on, superstars, what shows do they have going on? So they're saving these angles um, probably for a lot of casuals that aren't seeing shows every week. So it's probably not as familiar to them because they're not seeing it as often. Right. True. true. Yeah. Whichever the USA show would have been at the time, too. I don't know the time frame off the top of my head for primetime and Tuesday night. But But I think those shows, too, a lot of them. I mean, were they just like recap shows? A lot of them were recap. But I mean, there was there was some. New matches from like house shows and so on that were. were but you're not doing. Broadcast. You're not really shooting a ton of angles on these things, right? No, I mean, no, no, no. So uh, we follow that up with Mean Gene uh, interviewing, of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan with Paul Orndorff, um, and then 
we go right into match number one, which is Hogan taking on Paul Orndorff with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, Hogan, he's fired up because he moves Mean Gene right out of the way while he's going right to the ring. Way. I mean, he he's, is he's just fired up. Wonderful, yeah, Wonderful's coming out to the real American. They're stealing his music. They're stealing the entrance music, and 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 he, my Hogan's got to you know fight for the rights of every man and and defend you know his his theme. So, yeah. So, what did you guys think of this match, and why is the MVP of this match Bobby the Brain Heenan? <laughs> Just the subtle nuances with Heenan being on the apron, searching for a roll of quarters or a foreign object in his pocket, taking the bump after getting you know hit by Hogan. And then the the police escort or dragging him out of the out of the arena it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. And then Hogan afterwards selling the whole it's now one on one and, and you know doing you know doing the one to one point to the crowd and the crowd just absolutely feeding into it. Great uh, unsuspecting finish and especially the confrontation at the very end with Hogan and Piper and the wild swing with the crutch. Um, yeah, lots of different things going on in, in this particular segment here and uh, allowing multiple directions for spinoff angles to 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 ensue. So Heenan being taken out reminded me of his final Raw appearance, too, when he was taken out of the building. Like, almost bookended. One thing I noticed, too, with the Saturday Night's Main Event uh, shows, how can you, seeing the performances of Bobby the Brain Heenan, seeing Jimmy Hart, how can you look at this, watch these, and then say, you know what? We don't need managers anymore. I know. I mean, it's they crazy. add such There's different such layers. A, a layer, exactly. An additional layer uh, uh, just of, in, of intrigue and, and just so many angles to, of involvement that just add more to the, enrich the storylines and so on, enriches the presentation. Yeah. I mean, I really, really miss this stuff for today, for today's, you know, now, I can see them laying off the managers in the pandemic era because really they're not playing to the crowd. I mean, a manager really plays right. to, to the crowd more so. But I mean, even looking at like what Heyman does now adds so much to the Roman Reigns character. Like, right. I, I don't understand that logic of Vince not wanting managers. It makes no sense to me. I mean, the only thing that's kind of sort of is the Robert Stone brand on NXT. And that's uh, that's about it. And, well, Malcolm. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they don't do anything with Malcolm Bill. No. I know. They, like he'll be on for a couple weeks with the guy, and then gone. And then like, I think so many starts and stops. AEW. Everyone has a manager. <laughs> and I don't think they're good. They're just throwing like Ernie Anderson. To me, doesn't add anything to Cody. No. Jake Roberts, to me, doesn't add much to Lance Archer. It makes sense, Tully, with. That you makes know, sense. FTR, uh, given their style and how much they praise the Brainbusters, Arn and Tully's, you know, tag style. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they don't really lend too too much to the matches. Uh, at least AEW's presentation, I don't feel. Yeah, I don't. I I think they go overboard with it when it when it comes to that. Don Callis adds something to yeah. Omega yeah. though. Like, so it's it's a very fine line of of you know. I think managers. Just giving someone for the sake of giving someone, you know, you you really need to to pick and choose who you got and, and what you got going on. But um, but educator, why don't you go ahead and break down our first match of the night? So we see at the start of the match, Hogan uh, ends up missing a double axe handle as he attempts to go after Orndorff and he kind of crashes and burns into the corner. Paul Orndorff with a few right hands 
uh, to Hogan, but Hogan is able to battle back. He ends up Hogan hitting the ropes and hitting a running right uh, elbow to knock Orton down. Uh, Bobby Heenan then kind of gets distracts Hogan, gets up on the apron. Paul Orndorff ends up closing, uh, clotheslining Hogan over the top rope onto the floor. Hogan ends up recovering, ends up ramming Paul Orndorff's head into the apron. Both men eventually get back into the ring. Hogan ends up uh, ramming Orndorff into two different turnbuckles. We see Hulk Hogan with a a corner Irish whip to uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and he ends up chasing him into the corner and hitting an avalanche clothesline to Paul Orndorff. We see Bobby Heenan again up on the apron. He's reaching into his pocket, looking for a roll of quarters, some kind of foreign object. But Hulk Hogan hits a gives a stiff right hand to Bobby Heenan, knocks him off the apron onto the floor. We end up seeing uh, Paul Orndorff catching Hulk Hogan with a right hand uh, to knock Hogan down from that Bobby Heenan distraction when Hogan turns around. We see multiple knee drops by Paul Orndorff to Hogan's head and body. Hogan eventually kind of gets knocked through the ropes onto the floor, but on top of the timekeeper's table, and eventually he rolls out on the timekeeper who gets knocked down. We see Hogan trying to crawl back into the ring, but Orndorff hits the opposing ropes and then does a running, jumping knee to Hogan, knocking him back down on the floor. Eventually, Hogan does make it back into the ring. We see Orndorff dropping knees across Hogan's chest. He ends up using the ropes to kneel on Hogan's throat, using for leverage. Orndorff does pick up Hogan and does a standing front suplex to Hulk Hogan with a two count from referee Joey Morella. Orndorff with multiple boots to a downed Hogan. Hogan is able to recover and reverses an Irish whip attempt by Paul Orndorff and Hogan hits a running knee. Hogan is able to do a body slam to Paul Orndorff. He hits the ropes for the leg drop, but Bobby Heenan ends up grabbing Hogan's leg as he's at the ropes for a distraction. Paul Orndorff attempts to charge Hogan while Bobby Heenan's grabbing him by the leg, but Hogan is able to duck in the momentum of the Orndorff charge causes Paul Orndorff to maneuver over the top rope and onto the floor. All of a sudden we see from the aisleway, a bunch of police come down to ringside and they physically pick up Bobby Heenan, about six or eight police officers. And they end up carrying him away from ringside back towards the locker room. And we end up cutting to a commercial where we see Bobby Heenan is locked into a room somewhere with a camera in the room with him. Heenan's banging on the door, trying to get police officers to unlock the door, let him back in. He's got to get back to ringside. He's the manager of Paul Orndorff. And we end up cutting to commercial. Back from commercial, we see Hogan giving chase to Paul Orndorff on the floor. Eventually, the men back are back into the ring, and Orndorff catches Hogan climbing into the ring with a knee to the back. We see Orndorff dropping more knees and forearms and elbows to a downed Hogan. Paul Orndorff picks up Hulk Hogan for a body slam, but ends up converting it into a backbreaker drop along his knee. He ends up dropping an elbow after bouncing off of the ropes, goes for a pinfall attempt, and gets a two count. Paul Orndorff picks up Hulk Hogan and ends up hitting a standing clothesline. Orndorff starts signaling to the crowd the motions for the pile driver. As Orndorff picks up Hogan to do the pile driver, Hulk Hogan counters for a back body drop. Paul Orndorff is able to recover, however, and does a few punches to a downed Hogan, and Hogan begins his traditional Hulk up. As he hulks up, Hogan rebounds and hits an Irish whip and a running elbow to uh, Paul Orndorff's forehead. Hulk Hogan with a standing clothesline, and now Hogan is gesturing to the crowd that he's going to set up Paul Orndorff for a pile driver. 
as he picks up Paul Orndorff for the pile driver, we see a very large person in a wig and a pink dress from the crowd jump over the guardrail, get into the ring. We hear Jesse Ventura about this is a large, overweight, fat lady, but it ends up being adorable Adrian Adonis in a wig. He attacks Hulk Hogan, causing for the DQ finish. Hulk Hogan is double teamed by Adonis and Paul Orndorff, but we see Roddy Piper, who's on crutches, kind of stagger down to ringside with his knee injury. He eventually gets into the ring, and he ends up winding up baseball style and swinging the crutch onto Adrian Adonis and smacks him hard in the left elbow. Um, And Adonis takes a big bump over the top rope. Roddy Piper is just swinging wildly for his crutch. At one point, he swings, and Hogan has to duck to avoid getting hit by a crutch by Roddy Piper. And there is a confrontation, a stare down back and forth between Hogan and Roddy Piper as Wonderful is scurried away from the ring. And there's a stare down between Hogan and Piper, and eventually Piper walks away. And we see Hogan must pose to celebrate his DQ victory over Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Very good at the end with Hogan and Piper and just subtleties of it, of I'm not here for you. We're not friends. We're not on the same side. We just had a same enemy for a moment. But, you know, they didn't do the, it it didn't come across like a full face turn for Roddy. It didn't come across as Hogan suddenly given his blessing or anything. The one that I always really remember of just an instant face turn and all of a sudden everything bad that they did beforehand was, um, I think Bossman handed Hogan the keys to the handcuffs, and then all of a sudden he was faced from then on during his initial run. Um, also, like I didn't, I don't remember how long the entire match was, but when Mister Wonderful's in control of the match, this has got to be by far the longest a heel is in control of a match so far in Saturday Night Main Event series. Like Orton's in control for a length of time that's longer than the entire length of time for a lot of other matches that we've seen so far on the show here. Really well done. Um, I'm starting to get a kind of bothered with Vince's commentary for just pumping up Hogan and, and really whoever the face is and bearing the heel, which is what he's supposed to do. Yes, but not to the level. Like he's talking about Hogan's physique while Orndorff is standing right there. I'm like, Orndorff looks much better than Hogan here. When you got the two of them side by side and you just keep talking about Hogan the whole time for it. Um, and the, Jesse Ventura. Oh, look at them going right at it. I don't think we're going to see a scientific match here. Really? Jesse, thank you for telling us that the whole Hogan match is not going to be a scientific match here at all. I, I am still impressed with Hogan's speed and bumping at this point in his career, though. Like when he, he falls over on the top pretty much onto the timekeeper, which I'm just shocked anytime I see Hogan taking a big bump. Um, well, a big bump in the ring at this point. Good match. I was actually like really surprised by it and all. Love the Adonis thing. And I mean, we know where some WrestleMania 3 setup is going for. And I'm, you know, they're doing a good job building up, making me excited for it too. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I thought it was a fun match. I, I honestly thought, like I said, Bobby the Brain's interaction with everything just makes it so much better and so much more enjoyable, Um, especially when you have this monster face in Hogan. And this really does, you know, we kind of started seeing it a a little bit when Heenan would start 
kind of Heenan's monster of the week going against Hogan. Um, And this is just more enhancement of it and really kind of sets the tones for, okay, this is why Heenan's going to start going after him bad and just, just start feeding everyone to him. So, um, I, I I just got to say, you saying Heenan's monster of the week. I now want like an Elvira Svengoolie thing. Right. Bobby Heenan hosting a horror movie every week. That's great. But him doing like commentary over it. Uh, I love I I love Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, just so good at everything that he did. Yeah. So, um, so we follow that up with Mean Gene Okerlund talking to Jake the Snake Robert in the shower. Is this something where they're just having? Uh, they're they're putting Mean Gene in funny situations every uh, Saturday night's main event because he was what he was poolside, of course, in his tuxedo swimsuit. Um, he was. In, in the, the sauna, in the sauna, and now he's yeah. in in the shower. He's in the shower. Yeah, lots of play on awkward words here. A little tongue in cheek, trying to slip in some comments, just probably to pop the boys, just to see who who's gonna laugh and mark out. Oh, Good so times. I what was it? Uh, historically, dragons and snakes have never gotten along. Right. <laughs> I just love to have such a dumb line, and then. Uh, Jake yelling at me and Gene for being an encyclopedia salesman. I never sold an encyclopedia. Oh, you couldn't do that either. Holy crap. What a clap back. That was fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, it was a lot of fun to see the camaraderie that they they have. That was really, really great. Um, And then, of course, they say they they throw it to Mean Gene with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But Mean Gene's not even in this interview. It's just Ricky the Dragon Steamboat doing doing a promo, doing a promo with his uh, with his alligator there or his little croc. What would you call that? A little his his dragon i mean they weren't gonna get a legit komodo dragon because those things are vicious from (laughs) from any nature show that i have seen but it's kind of weird to call it a dragon when it's very obvious it is a smaller you know crocodile rep you know alligator whatever i think it was a crocodile actually so um and this leads to match number two on the card which actually is a it's very interesting how these 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 feed out for us because of course we saw on last week's episode you know, you see Ricky the Dragon get laid out from that DDT, and now we actually get a, we get a match between it's them. So kind of like a payoff match between yeah, them. There's a- actually a another show that they had a match in Toronto. Uh, we see Ricky Steamboat winning with a sunset flip over Jake the Snake Roberts. He even, you know, uh, Mean Gene talked about it in the interview with Snake in the shower, and, sh- and Snake's like, "I don't remember that happening." Blah blah blah. So this is kind of like their culmination, I guess, of their feud here on Saturday Night's Leaving Event, or at least what lead could lead to be the culmination of their feud. I'm sure more of this played out later uh, beyond this particular match. Um, how much back to the the dragon pet thing here? Um, I might have to go back and time it to see how much time passes between the backstage interview when we see it and then when it's actually released in the ring. Because if we see that dragon later than it's an alligator but if we see it in a while then it's a crocodile that's how to tell them apart educator (laughs) should we even continue doing this i just i think we might go to a two-man booth at this point i mean Maybe we'll let Crone Meltzer jump in once in a while, but at this point... I mean, just... should we get rid of the Byron Saxton of the group? Oh, oh. gosh. What credibility does he lend to our... I don't know. 
All right, educator, why don't you uh, go ahead, break down Jake the Snake versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. All right, we see the match start up with a tie-up, collar and elbow tie-up between both men. Roberts goes for a wrist lock, but Steamboat is able to reverse that uh, wrist lock. He ends up doing an arm twist and a few chops to Jake the Snake Roberts. Steamboat is able to do an arm lock where he straightens out the elbow and essentially lifts up Jake Roberts with single armed with a, basically a back body drop bump, goes for a pinfall attempt and gets a two count from the referee. We see Steamboat with a quick arm drag uh, to bring Jake down. Roberts is able to eventually recover, get up. He does an Irish whip into the ropes, which is reversed by Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat ends up doing a press into a flapjack. Uh, to belly out Jake Roberts in the canvas, goes for a pinfall attempt, gets another two count. We see Roberts scurrying out on the floor. Steamboat gives chase. Eventually, they get back into the ring. When Roberts is back into the ring, Steamboat is able to hit an arm drag onto Jake Roberts. Steamboat then does a double leg takedown and ends up grabbing both legs and does a slingshot to Jake Roberts into the corner turnbuckle. Steamboat climbs up to the top rope and goes for basically a superfly splash. But as he comes down, Jake the Snake Roberts is able to tuck his knees and Steamboat crashes and burns onto the knees of Jake Roberts. Both men begin to crawl to each other's or to each corner to their bags to release the snake and the uh, the quote unquote dragon. But as Jake Roberts sees how close Ricky Steamboat is to getting to his bag, he turns around and ends up attacking Steamboat to prevent Steamboat from opening up the bag. Jake Roberts is able to hit a gourd buster, dropping Steamboat abdomen first across his knee. We get a two count from the referee. Jake Roberts with an Irish whip to Steamboat into the ropes, ends up catching Steamboat with a stiff shot to the lower ribs. Roberts hits his short arm clothesline, and we get a slow count from the referee, a two count from the official, and we hear Jesse Ventura on commentary just, you know, gutting the official for being inconsistent with his uh, counts. Uh, Jake Roberts is able to hit a scoop slam. He ends up dropping multiple knees into Steamboat's ribs. Re uh, Steamboat attempts to get some limited offense back with chops and fists, but Roberts is able to hit a knee lift to knock Steamboat back down to the canvas. Jake Roberts hits the snap nair takeover. We get a slow two count again from the referee. Uh, Roberts is able to hit a reverse atomic drop, dropping Steamboat down across his knee. Jake Roberts hits an Irish whip, but Steamboat is able to duck uh, a clothesline attempt from Jake Roberts. Ricky Steamboat ends up wrapping up and doing a crucifix maneuver. Robert starts to struggle a little bit with the weight on his back, but Steamboat is successful in taking Jake, uh, Jake Roberts down with that crucifix, and we get a 1-2-3 pinfall as Jake the Snake Roberts is pinned by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Post-match, Jake Roberts begins to attack Ricky Steamboat, ends up hitting a running knee that sends the dragon out to the floor. Jake Roberts picks up Steamboat as if he's going to body slam him on the floor, but ends up holding him and carrying him towards the ring post and ramming Steamboat's back into the ring post multiple times. Roberts goes into the ring to his bag, unzips the bag or unties the bag, I should say, and allows Damien to get out. He picks up Damien and turns around, and Ricky Steamboat by then was able to crawl into the ring and successfully unzip his bag and take out his quote-unquote dragon. And there is a stare-off, and eventually Steamboat causes uh, Jake Roberts to scurry away from the ring, not wanting to have that confrontation of reptile versus reptile.
Yeah, I see. So we agree that <laughs> this is why you're being replaced, Kevin. <laughs> so we agree that the ref was doing slow counts, though. Like before Jesse even said that, you read it down in your notes that yeah. seemed like a slow two count. Yeah, absolutely. His cadence was very, very different for whenever Steamboat was trying to get any offense and uh, a pinfall attempt versus Jake Roberts. Um, are either of you familiar with the Drunken Master movies, Drunken Master Styles, Jackie Chan thing for some? Okay. So like styles of martial arts and all drunken master one is like you kind of flop and fall around and act like you're drunk. But what it's supposed to do is it keeps your opponent off guard because they don't know what angle you're coming at it from. But it looks like you're kind of flopping around. Ricky Steamboat selling here looks like he's like flopping around wobbly legs off balance, everything. But then it causes Jake to be off balance as well to come back at him with stuff it was just very interesting how they were playing out for it and just an interesting sell job as well from steamboat like totally different than how a lot of other methods we've seen of selling and i even this is the first one i've really noticed maybe there have been others but thanks to the rick rude twitter account a while ago what an atomic drop sell in this match i i as in the like younger i hated atomic drop i just thought it was such a stupid move i don't know why but now I appreciate the selling of it. When you have someone really sell that move, it's just over the top entertaining because it's ridiculous too. It was a great one in this. Um, and then just the the dragon versus snake thing. Just I don't know. It seems ridiculous. I would I agree with you that you can't really grab a komodo dragon. It's not really a a tame yeah animal. But it would just look cooler though. The, the one thing I noticed, you know, when Steamboat did the backstage vignette that the alligator, crocodile, whatever it was, I think it was a crocodile, um, he ended up having that red ribbon wrapped around his snout so that yep. he couldn't legitimately bite. But in the process of him getting him out of the bag, that ribbon came off and that animal had just, you know, free jaw to bite whatever if it really wanted to. So, you know, taking a big chance there. <laughs> There, there's no, not not that I'm a zoologist or anything by any means, but I remember that the story is always, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of pounds of pressure their bites have, right? You know, and it could like crush your arm stuff like that. But that's closing. Apparently, opening they don't have a whole lot of strength for it. So if it's already closed, you can hold it closed easily, like right. the average human could hold it closed. But if they want to clamp down, you're not stopping it. <laughs> Right. Thank you, Kevin, for your zoologist. <laughs> it's almost like you I'm... took my living environment class that I used to teach. <laughs> it's crazy. I know random things. We follow that up with Mean Gene talking to Hawk Hogan after he's taken a shower. Wanted to give him time to dry off from his shower. Yeah. yeah. Not like Jesse and... the, or Jake the Snake where you're in the shower with him. Yeah. And I don't understand all of the judge, jury courtroom references that Hogan is spouting off and why he's going in this angle. I don't get it whatsoever, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then we get uh, Jesse, the body uh, talking with Shiki baby and slick oh, coming in with a big limo. Shiki baby slick slick was fantastic on the mic, man. What a promo guy for 86. I mean, he's building up Shiki. Like he's going to be the next WWF champion. He's going to be the next challenger for Hogan. And, 
He wants to take care of Shiki, make sure Shiki's all, you know, happy and ready to go because a happy wrestler, a confident wrestler is going to is going to perform well. And uh yeah, Shiki baby still still with the gut but still has abs when he sucks in the air. So, you know, he's still in kind of in shape. Was Sheik Slick's first charge in WWE? It was it was a weird situation where Freddie Blassie ended up splitting the contracts of Volkov and Sheik up where he was like partial manager and they were like and they shared duties for probably like they both would accompany Sheik and Volkov to ringside for a few months and then Blassie just slowly faded away and eventually yeah Sheik and Volkov were um Slick's first characters for management so do you think from a behind the scenes point of view it may have been hey we want to put this guy Slick out there but he needs a little more time. He needs a little more seasoning. So you got Classy Freddy there right. kind of mentoring, teaching. And then when he felt he was good enough, okay, yeah. now I can fully step back. Absolutely. I, I see it that way. Absolutely. Also, I mean, Slick, like no one's doing this either. You can see all the influences. You can see a rap influence, a hip hop influence, a black exploitation influence, like all sorts of stuff coming together into this one character. And then the promos, no one's doing this. He's incredible on it. Like how I, I didn't appreciate him for it before. He was just another manager, but seeing the art of it. Yeah. He pumps up chic like crazy here cuts a great yeah. promo can't take your eyes off of him the entire time sounds fantastic absolutely like i'm hoping for more slick on this really, now. really dry draws you in yeah like we know drive soul bro but never you know that's been my lasting memory of him now i'm like oh my gosh this guy is taking all this 70s 80s black culture and wrapping it up into this awesome character here right yeah it's just once again another reason for managers I mean, yeah. I mean it, it can just take the presentation of a wrestler over the top in my opinion so um but we follow that up with match number three which is supposed to be Sheik versus pedro morales as a substitute because piper is injured so we see per, uh, morales is in the ring he's going to act as the substitute but then we eventually see roddy piper staggered out in the ringside and uh, kind of ward Pedro Morales off, telling him to leave, threatens to hit him with the crotch. But Morales is like, okay, fine, I don't, I'll go, whatever. But it was interesting because earlier in the evening when they were talking to Piper at the start of the show, they said he wasn't medically cleared. Wasn't medically cleared, but Piper said, I'm going to fight. No one's going to tell me that I can't fight whatsoever. And so my question is, if he's medically, if he's not medically cleared, how is this a sanctioned match? <coughs> Sorry, I'm. Seeing it as the implication is the doctors are weaklings and they will bow to the pressure of a bigger, stronger wrestler. So Roddy's saying, no one's going to tell me what to do. They're like, fine, I guess you can go ahead and wrestle. Just don't beat me up, big, scary wrestler, man. Kind of, yeah, I get that. Is that what, uh, okay. I, I was just kind of curious because, like I said, I remember them saying, oh, no, he's he's not medically cleared. And then he comes out with, you know, and then he wrestles in this match. Instead of just coming out street fight wise, which would to me make more sense, no, they actually ring the bell. And, I mean, it's kind of what it was. I mean, they started the match with him breaking the crotch over Sheik as the bell is ringing. So why then? I don't know why it wasn't even stopped, or it was a DQ, or a no contest. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't you go ahead and break this one down then? 
All right, so we have Pedro Morales being sent from ringside, and Piper is adamant that he's going to start the match. Shiki charges Roddy Piper to attack, uh, but Piper is able to move out of the way, and just as the bell rings, Piper is breaking the crutch over Sheik's back, smashing the crutch, shattering it, and leaves a couple of decent welts on the back of the Iron Sheik. Uh, we see Roddy Piper doing his little boxing, uh, you know, fists of fury to knock Sheik down to the canvas. Piper turns around because Slick is still in the ring, flipping out as the attack with the crutch had happened and the referee is letting it go on. Uh, Piper turns around and starts focusing his efforts towards Slick. Slick scurries back and forth in the corner and eventually drops down to the canvas and rolls out to the floor. Uh, Iron Sheik is able to recover. He ends up attacking Roddy Piper with a thumb to the eye or a punch to the forehead. As Piper turns around, Sheik begins to rip Roddy Piper's T-shirt that he still has on. He begins to choke Roddy Piper with that shirt. We see the Iron Sheik with a bunch of kicks and boots to a downed Roddy Piper. Iron Sheik picks up Roddy Piper, sets him up for a standing vertical suplex as he lifts up Piper. Piper kind of deadweights Iron Sheik and then falls back down and then turns it into an inside cradle small package. And the referee calls for the one, two, three. And Roddy Piper has pinned the Iron Sheik in about a 45 second match. I mean, there's really nothing to the match other than furthering Piper's current character here, which I'd say is like a slow burn face turn you know, overall here. And the interview um, and the interview later on in the night in the locker room with mean gene really continues to further along that whole, like I'm crazy and I'm Roddy Piper. No one's going to stop me. Adonis. I'm coming for you kind of deal. Yeah. And I mean, Sheik is just in the way and just a victim for this bigger storyline here, which is crazy. Cause I mean, Hogan's champ. So he is the previous world champ and here he is just losing to Piper in 45 seconds. And it's all, it's also interesting too, because like we just said with that, interview with slick slick pumping him up feeling like he's going to be the next challenger to hogan and then 45 seconds he's, he loses and, yeah and it's it's been what three three and a half years since hogan had originally won the title so what was it back in 83 84 yeah. so it was like january 83 i believe so and i mean it's just funny to see you know uh modern wrestling era when we'll say things like um matches are too sure uh why are they bearing this character this doesn't make sense and it happens here it's just you know we kind of forget about certain things over time yeah um so we follow that up with mean gene talking with johnny valiant um we get a wrestlemania 2 flashback and of course the dream team are there of uh valentine and um Brutus the Beefcake. We got to make sure we, we we tell everyone who the Dream Team is because there's been five Dream Teams so far um, over the course of Saturday Night's Main Event. Uh, then we get Mean Gene, of course, talking with Roddy Piper. And that throws to match number four on the card, uh, which will be the British Bulldogs with Captain Lou Albano taking on the Dream Team with Johnny Valiant in a European match. Two out of three falls. Uh, yeah, match. somehow this particular match is a European rules two out of three falls, but I don't remember Vince on commentary reminding us of that with Sheik and Volkov in the last episode. Do either of you? No. Yeah. No, I think they just wanted a uh, a reason for it. Um, we also, too, get an Adrian Adonis injury update because they're saying that he jacked up his shoulder even though uh, Piper's crutch hit him in the elbow. 
kind of like a like a post first fall like breakaway. All right, let's go backstage. Let's get an update on things, and then eventually we'll come back and restart the next fall of the match. Yeah. All right, uh, educator. What do you guys think of this two out of three false match? Interesting that we see another one of these. So I'm curious if the first one did very well for them, and they said, "Hey, let's put another one on Saturday night's main event." Well, this one was much different in that you know you don't have one man one man on the team that's wrestling the majority of the match. We got Bulldogs going back and forth, uh, continuing the match. Dynamite is still selling. Uh, a bum knee so that must be a continuous nagging knee injury or he's just doing really well and selling uh and and performing to get the crowd invested into the face character of him uh i like of course i like this match a heck of a lot more than the uh the sheik and volkov two out of three falls that were reviewed last the unexpected finish uh with the cradle suplex pin to finish the final fall i thought was a you know, was unexpected and not something you I would think of with Davy Boy Smith doing. Uh, love the finish where the Bulldogs won the second fall with the power slam and the headbutt off the top rope. That was great as well. Um, these two teams were great for each other. Uh, the explosive power of the the Bulldogs and then the grizzled veteran of of you know Valentine and and Beefcake. I think they did really really well. They seem to have very good chemistry with each other. I really, really like this match. Much better than the previous two out of three false match. A lot better. Beefcake's a lot better in this match, too. Of like I crapped all over him that previous one, but he's upped his game in this match a lot. And and it was good to see Dynamite actually wrestle too. I was nervous at first it was gonna be all Davy Boy again, but no, Dynamite's in it. He's not hundred percent, but he's pretty good in it. Um, and I, I looked, I thought, there's 20 minutes left in the show, and there's another match. There's no <laughs> way they're going to pull this off. But no, this was, for what it was, this was really good. It was busy back and forth between the teams. Lots of quick tags for the heels. You know, doing one-two maneuvers, tag out, one-two maneuvers, tag out, one-two double team, tag back out. You know, lots of in and outs, good chemistry with uh, Valentine and Beefcake. Uh, lots of good face, you know, hot tags for the faces to get in and clear house and, and whatnot. Um, I really like the, like I said, the finish of the third fall with the four man schmas and the unexpected pin. I liked it. A lot of like classic tag work. If you're wondering how to work a tag match, this is, would be a good show for it. All right, educator last week, Kevin broke down a two out of three falls match. So you got a lot to live up for here. Oh, baby. All right, let's get her started. First fall of the match, we see Dynamite Kid catching Greg Valentine going for a stomp to the gut. He ends up catching his boot, swings Valentine around, picks him up, and gives him an atomic drop. And the momentum from the atomic drop sends Valentine towards the Bulldogs' corner where Davy Boy Smith headbutts Valentine, whose momentum now carries him back to Dynamite, who headbutts. And there's a back-and-forth headbutt a few times until eventually Valentine crashes and burns and falls to the mat. Greg Valentine eventually recovers from all those headbutts. He ends up stomping Dynamite Kid's left leg, uh, and he starts uh, working on a down Dynamite Kid. Eventually, Brutus Beefcake tags in. He hits a standing front suplex uh, and a leg snap nair onto the Dynamite Kid. Davy Boy is able to eventually tag in as Dynamite crawls over and makes the tag. We see Davy Boy Smith with an arm twist and a wrist lock. He lifts Beefcake up into the air. Beefcake is able to drop 
uh, Davy Boy Smith down with a forearm. He tags in Greg Valentine. He climbs off to the top rope and hits a forearm across uh, uh, Davy Boy Smith's forehead. Uh, we see Hammer with an arm twist and a drop toe hold. He tags Beefcake back in, who does a body slam to Davy Boy Smith. Quick tag back into Valentine. He ends up dropping an elbow. Uh, he climbs to the second rope to try to do an elbow smash. Davey moves and ends up mo- rolling out of the way. Da- we tag into Dynamite Kid. We see Dynamite Kid with a bunch of forearms to Greg Valentine. Valentine does a reverse atomic drop and eventually scoops up Dynamite Kid and does a shoulder breaker, almost a tombstone pile driver shoulder breaker uh, over his knee, gets a two count from the referee. Greg Valentine hits an Irish whip and a clothesline. Beefcake is tagged back in. He does a scoop body slam and a pinfall attempt for a two count. Another tag back in. Greg Valentine with an Irish whip. And he hits Dynamite Kid with a forearm and eventually a headbutt. Dynamite tries to do a suplex, but Hammer blocks the suplex attempt by punching him in that left knee that's been worked on throughout the match. And Dynamite drops down. Greg Valentine does a spinning toehold and then turns it into a figure four leg lock as Davy Boy Smith attempts to come in to break it up. We see Beefcake successfully fend off uh, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, and Dynamite Kid ends up submitting. And the first fall goes to Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. We end up getting cut to the back for a locker room update regarding Adrian Adonis with Mean Gene and Adonis having been hit in the elbow from Roddy Piper in the crutch. Mean Gene says as soon as we get more information regarding the injury, we'll certainly update uh, everybody back at ringside. We come back to the match. Valentine is now starting the match with a Dynamite Kid. He's driving his knee into an injured leg of the Dynamite Kid. Beefcake is tagged in. We see lots of stomping on that injured leg. The Dream Team end up doing double-team maneuvers onto a down Dynamite Kid, working on the lower body and the leg. We see Brutus Beefcake with a stomp into the Dynamite Kid's abdomen. A pinfall attempt only gets a two-count from the referee. We see Brutus Beefcake pick up Dynamite Kid for a press slam. He's kind of balancing his body on his head. And he ends up dropping Dynamite Kid as for a backbreaker over his knee. We get another two count from the referee. Greg Valentine's tagged back in, does a body slam to the Dynamite Kid. He climbs up to the second rope to do an elbow drop. It drops the elbow, but Dynamite Kid rolls out of the way, giving Smith the opportunity to get the hot tag. And we see a house of fire of Davy Boy Smith going nuts. Big headbutt to Dynamite or to Greg Valentine, an Irish whip to Valentine with a clothesline. Beefcake comes in to try to break things up, but Davy Boy Smith hits a drop kick to stop that save. We see another jumping, leaping headbutt onto standing Greg Valentine to knock Valentine down to the canvas. Davy Boy Smith hits a standing vertical suplex onto Greg Valentine. He gets a long two count from the referee. Davy Boy Smith scoops up. Greg Valentine for the running power slam is successful in hitting that running power slam to Greg Valentine. And as he goes for the pinfall attempt, Brutus Beefcake comes into the ring before Beefcake gets a chance to stomp onto Davy Boy Smith to break up the pinfall. Davy Boy Smith's up on his feet. He picks up Brutus Beefcake for a fireman's carry. He goes over to his own corner. He tags in the dynamite kid. And as Davy Boy Smith is standing next to the corner, 
Dynamite Kid climbs up to the top rope, jumps from the top rope onto uh, Brutus Beefcake's back from the uh, standing fireman's carry from Davy Boy Smith. And then Dynamite Kid jumps off of Beefcake's back for a flying headbutt onto a downed Greg Valentine. And while Davy Boy Smith is still holding up uh, Brutus Beefcake in that standing fireman's carry, Dynamite Kid is able to get a pinfall on the downed uh, Greg Valentine from that flying headbutt for a 1-2-3 pinfall, giving the second fall to the British Bulldogs. We end up cutting away from a uh, to a commercial. We start back in the ring, and Beefcake is trying to start the match, but a, the rules are that the men that finish the fall are supposed to start the fall, so the referee is counting Greg Valentine out, but Valentine reluctantly gets back into the ring. And Valentine and the Dynamite Kid end up starting the match. We see a lockup, and eventually Valentine attacks Dynamite's bum knee, begins chopping Dynamite into the corner. Dynamite Kid eventually battles back. He ends up hitting a snap suplex onto Greg Valentine. Dynamite then hits the ropes to do a falling headbutt, but completely misses. Uh, ends up shorting himself on that as the Greg Valentine moves out of the way. At one point, there is a, an attempt for a tag as Greg Valentine is trying to prevent Dynamite Kid from tagging. The referee is distracted by Beefcake, even though there is a tag by Dynamite. So the ref misses that tag, and now Davy Boy Smith's trying to get into the ring, and the referee now focuses his attention on getting Davy Boy Smith out. This gives the opportunity for Beefcake and Valentine to double team. At one point, we see Brutus Beefcake hitting a forearm off the top rope behind the ref's back to knock the Dynamite Kid out. Beefcake now having tagged into the match He ends up hitting a running knee uh, To Davy Boy Smith As Dynamite had also made the tag He ends up hitting a back body drop Onto Davy Boy Smith Only gets a two count Brutus Beefcake hits a running clothesline Onto Davy Boy Smith And another pinfall attempt Only gets a two count from the referee We see Brutus Beefcake throwing a Bulldog into the ropes Beefcake drops down too early to telegraph a back body drop. Davy Boy Smith uh, leaps over and ends up hitting in a sunset flip pinfall attempt. But that pinfall attempt is only successful for a two. Eventually, Beefcake is able to tag out and Valentine tags back in. He drops knees across Davy Boy Smith's chest. Valentine hits a standing front suplex for a two count. Eventually, Brutus Beefcake tags back in and does an Irish whip into the ropes to uh, to Davy Boy Smith and hits a running knee. And Dynamite Kid ends up breaking a pinfall attempt that is caused by Brutus Beefcake. All four men are now in the ring. There's a big schmoz going on in the corner. Dynamite Kid is tied up with Greg Valentine in one quarter. Uh, Brutus Beefcake is with Davy Boy Smith. Beefcake does an Irish whip to Davy Boy Smith into the corner. He tries to charge with another running high knee, but Davy Boy Smith moves out of the way. So Beefcake ends up crashing and burning, slamming his knee into the top turnbuckle. Davy Boy Smith then hits a fisherman suplex, perfect plex, onto Brutus Beefcake and ends up getting the one, two, three pinfall victory. Your winners and still world tag team champions, the British Bulldogs. You know, I was worried Bulldogs were not going to win because they are without Captain Lou here this evening. Yeah, at this point, Captain Lou, I believe, actually is now no longer working with WWE, no longer doing any dates. 
Um, and now the Bulldogs are kind of on their own. Did, was it that this? No, the math doesn't line up. Captain Lou wasn't um, retired from wrestling and working as a plumber yet, right? Oh, jeez. No. No, not yet. Not yet. That That's 89. Okay. <laughs> I, f- I figured the retro gamer would know that better than I <laughs> Um, Greg Valentine needs to stop climbing the ropes at all. Yeah. <laughs> He looks awkward when he tries to drop those elbows off the off the second rope. Yeah, yeah he's just gingerly like tiptoeing across it. It's like me walking on ice. When when he bounces off the ropes and does the big wind up for the elbow drop, that looks great. But oh, whenever he when he climbs to the and the timing on his wind up for when he then drops the elbow, it looks fantastic. But when he's up on a rope and then doing that wind up, and it's just so awkward. He needs to not oh. do that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it just seems like he needs like a harness and strings. Like he's up, you know, hundreds of feet in the air for it. Um, Bulldog with the running power slam in this match. And I believe is on the previous two out three falls match. Like I'm trying to think of a tag team where an individual did a move that later became a finisher like this. Cause it's just, it, it does work as a finisher form in these, even if it's just a two count, like it's, it's heading there. Right. Forward. And then he just takes it on his own and becomes a signature move later on. Right. Which is weird to see like it that's not a double team maneuver here. Right. As that he could just do that as an individual to end the match. I know at one point one of the things that, that would happen is Davy would hit that running power slam and then dynamite would run towards Davy. Davy would pick him up for a press slam and he would like rocket launcher him for a flying headbutt onto the downed you know opponent and that would be the pinfall finish um we see a variation down the road when the powers of pain came to the wwf where the warlord would hit the power slam and the barbarian would come off the top rope and do that flying headbutt so i mean there's it's lots of variations for how this power slam is set up for another impact maneuver for the tag team to lead to you know the, the pinfall finish uh, and then Third fall, the referee just completely gives up. Like, we've talked about stuff where ref has to pretend they don't see something, you know, or is out of position or whatever. He just does not care anymore. (laughs) All four men in the ring, there's blatant cheating going on. There's a ton. And the referee's just like, this isn't the finish. I'm just ignoring it. Like, doesn't even pretend to get someone out of the ring. Doesn't even pretend to get out of control. Just like, eh, whatever. Third fall will be done here soon gonna just let it be um but like like i said before much much more enjoyable than the previous two out of three falls match right really good i can't believe i went from crapping all over beefcake just a a show ago really and then he's great here great i don't know what the difference is in that short time there shouldn't be something but something clicked different or someone talked to him i don't know which do you think it's sid syndrome where it's just a spot on the card more motivated because it's a tag match or for the titles? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I thought maybe, it was more I mean, there like, could did be I party sp- the night before or not? Right. I mean, we're, I mean, this is what, September, taped in September, playing in October of 86. Beefcake doesn't really make a face turn and split away from the Dream Team until WrestleMania ish down the road. So, I mean, he's still got six, seven, eight months before he's going on and doing his own singles thing so yeah just something to to think about i mean 
I mean, who knows? Um, so we follow that up with uh, Mean Gene talking with Kim Chi and the Wizard um, and Kamala. And uh, Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter, as everyone likes to, to... Ugandan headhunter, not the Ugandan giant. Ugandan headhunter. And that leads us to our main event of the evening. Of course, when we get to the main event, we have to go to the one man that puts the man in the main event, Mr. Kevin Hellions. <laughs> Who puts the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? It's Kevin Elliott. Kevin, on this yeah. week's main event, you are discussing Lanny Poffo taking on Kamala. And we'll let you go ahead and take it away. Discussing is one way to put it. Put the pronunciation a little different there. Okay. So Kamala with the wizard and kimchi versus Leaping Lanny Papo with frisbees. So uh, we get a little introduction there uh, and a welcome back for Kamala. Because I'm sure that everyone was clamoring for that one. Uh, Kamala grabs Papo, um, Miss Chop, Lenny Papo clip, uh, flips out of the corner. Kamala chops him and roundhouse kicks Papo. Lenny Papo off the ropes into another chop and then two more of these roundhouse crescent kicks, whatever you want to call them this week. Lenny Papo into the turnbuckle. Um, Kamala does the, uh, like not quite a neck choke, but like a, uh, uh, tricep, not tri- uh, um, trapezoid choke there, lifts him up, and then right back down. Uh, then we get the only wrestling maneuver that I can pull off correctly, the belly slaps, and then another chop. Uh, Jesse says that it looks like Lanny Paffo is going into the boiling pot here, emphasizing the headhunter gimmick. Uh, Lanny Puffo tries to fight back really quick, gets stuffed down real fast, though. Puffo's off the ropes, gets uh, chopped to the throat, body slammed, and then Kamala with a big splash, and finally the pin. Kimchi and the wizard have to instruct Kamala to get up off of his opponent now, and then Kamala climbs the rope and teases that he's going to jump off the top onto Lanny Puffo until Kimchi and the wizard calm him down and get him to come down from the top. That's been your exciting main event of the evening. Literally a squash. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been your man in the mat. The man of the main <laughs> event, main event call from Kevin Elliott. I want to add to my collection of Lanny Poffo for his B. Do you think <laughs> yeah. they were, they had like, do you think they had, were they just regular Frisbees, you think? Or did you think they had like a Lanny Poffo logo on it or something? No, they had his poems on them. Yeah, I have his poems on them. He'd like, he, they'd print them and they, he would tape them on the inside of the Frisbee and then he would toss them out. So they were like WWF Frisbees and they would get um, thrown out to the crowd after he did his, um, after Recycle. he did his poem. I need them. My, um, my first 
uh, WWF event that I ever went to was in Cornwall, Ontario, Canada. And I actually followed Lanny Poffo and a few other wrestlers. I was like seven years old. My mom carried, uh, you know, took me out with them. Uh, and we ended up following a couple of wrestlers out to the parking lot. And I actually got Lanny Poffo's frisbee, uh, frisbee from Lanny Poffo. And it had a poem on the inside. He autographed it with a marker that he had, gave it to me. I have no idea wherever that went to, but I do remember it was a, a taped poem on the inside. Can I just point out at seven, you go out to the parking lot to meet Lanny Poffo. Well, my mom was with me. But at 19, so, you know. you're afraid to go to the parking lot to meet the Sultan. Man, the Sultan was going to kill me. Yeah, it was crazy. I just want to throw that out there. Educator, anything you want to add about the squash match? I mean, really just kind of, I mean, is, is it pretty obvious that Kamala is going to be someone that's going to be fed to Hogan here in a little bit? It will be very, very much so. I honestly, I don't remember any of the Wizards time in the WWF as being Kamala's manager. I do remember it was Kim Chi who was actively under the hood as Kim Chi. I'm sure we're just interchangeable people. I know at one point, Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, uh, was that at one point, but I believe on the independence, the kimchi character was referred to as Friday. It was. And uh, yeah, okay. Must yeah, be wanting to change it up to make it a WWF creation, I guess. All right. And then after that, we see Vince and Jesse running down the event. And that concludes Saturday night's main event number seven. Um, overall, fun show, guys. Uh, I mean, these are, it's hard to get. Um, get angry at a show when it's seven, you know, an hour long. And there, there has at least one or two segments that are pretty memorable and, and entertaining. Absolutely. Very much enjoying this particular chapter uh, of our overall uh, series here. Lots of things that are being re reminded of, or just seeing again for the first time uh, from growing up in a long, long time. And it's just bringing back, pulling at the heartstrings of, of classic eighties wrestling. And this is the time that it was really pulled into, uh, this sports entertainment realm. I mean, when, when you're younger, you want the cartoons, when you're about teenage twenties, you want, you know, some attitude, some, some aggression, some violence and all. And now we're seeing the stuff and wanting what's here, the over the top selling, the, little adult innuendos here like appreciating the talent of wrestling and not really the storylines as much all right so on next week's episode kevin you ready for your main event call what it'll be sure in our main event of saturday night's main event eight we will see dirty dick slater taking on the magnificent morocco with mr fuji in his corner I didn't even know Dick Slater was in WWF at this time. Yeah, I think he was called the Rebel Dick Slater at one point, but is he referred to as Dirty Dick Slater? Yeah, I, I think it's just Dick know. Slater. I don't know. Yeah, so. I think it's the Rebel Dick Slater. We will see. So uh, we will see you next week. Uh, educator, what do you want to say to the people out there? Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we look forward to presenting another episode next week. Yeah, and I just want to say, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. That, of course, once again is at Maddie Treats. I want to thank my two best friends in the entire world, my two co-hosts, the Educator of Excellence and the Master Library, Mr. Chris, the Shocker, the whatever you want to call him, Kevin Hellions. Um, <laughs> 
Crone Meltzer. Shout out to you. And that's going to do it for me. Um, oh, yeah. Kevin, why don't you uh, take us home? All right. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Thank you guys for another great show. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader and Jason Gross for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt, like I said, at Maddie Treats. You can follow me online at Mass Library. MassLibrary.com is the home blog. Go ahead and check out the show notes for links for Patreon and for show merchandise and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And uh, guys, I mean, we're, we're done kind of early here. Um, I got to make dinner plans. I think I'm going to go ahead and order the snake versus dragon combo from my local Chinese place. It's delicious. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.